Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of QSR Uncut. I'm your host, Danny Klein, the editorial director of QSR Magazine. And my co-host and colleague, Ben Coley, is back after a brief three-episode hiatus, I believe it was. Hmm. But he's returned from the uh, depths of earnings season, as we call it around here. Especially last week when it seemed as though every publicly traded brand in America was telling us what they did the past quarter. So anyway, happy to have Ben back. And this week we are continuing our conversations around the world of pokey. And we have Pokeworks and Steve Healy. So Steve, I'm going to give you a chance to introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about the brand before we get into it. You know, I think as a, you know, just kind of an overarching point, I think pokey is a category that's had a lot of steam in recent years, really kind of hit an apex. And you had this rush of brands come in and start copying each other, which is usually a good sign. I think the idea was we could put sushi in a uh, affordable and portable form for people and open that accessibility. It was almost like sushi 2.0 for consumers. But again, thank you for joining us. If you want to just tell the podcast uh, your role and, and just a little bit about the background of the brand. Sure. Yeah. Hi, uh, I'm Steve Healy, CEO of Pokeworks. Um, Pokeworks is the um, leading premium fast casual poke brand uh, in the U.S. and we've gone international. So it's um, we're in a little over 20 states uh, in the U.S. And then we've recently expanded internationally to Mexico, uh, Asia. We recently opened in Taiwan and then we're going to be going into Canada um, starting this year. And the brand started in 2015 in New York City with a really small, uh, about 800 square foot space. Um, our founders um, had this vision of taking poke, which at the time was not super well known, and sort of democratizing it and making it um, ultimately customizable with this poke your way concept of building your own poke bowl. Until then, poke was sort of a menu item. And you could find it in some restaurants, but uh, it really wasn't at that point a clear category. And as you mentioned, there was sort of this rush to jump into the the poke space. A lot of folks saw it as uh, an easy play because it didn't take a lot of heavy cooking equipment and the uh, investment was a little bit lower. But uh, at, at its heart, poke is a when it's done well as like we do at a Pokeworks, it's a super high quality product and uh, with, with relatively expensive ingredients. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I think fast forward to today, Poke is now gone mainstream. It's now a clear category and fast casual. It's a, it's a, it's a clear um, um, concept and no longer just a menu item. And the acceptance of Poke has just really grown not only in the U.S., but around the world. You can literally go to any city or town in the U.S. and find poke restaurants, multiple poke restaurants, uh, and now pretty much any country in the world, you can find some variation of poke. So, um, yeah, it's been interesting to see it, the category grow from sort of this hot menu item to now um, a very clear alternative for consumers as a choice um, alternative to other types of fast casual brands that are out there. Yeah, you know, I, I definitely was pronouncing uh, pokey wrong there. <laughs> 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 well, 
I guess, you know, I have heard it called poke, and so I just don't know that anyone with your type of expertise has ever corrected me, so um, it's good to know. Um, to your point, though, what I think is interesting is that, yes, it was a category that a lot of people dove in because they saw the success of the brands that were doing it correctly. Sure. But the quality nature of it, to me, uh, we had one over um, by our office that closed within a few months because I think what ended up happening you know, sales weren't as robust, so they tried to cut back on the quality of the food, which is kind of a typical restaurant reaction to things or cut the portions yeah. or whatever you might do. And once they did that, it was just for them, it was over because in that raw fish space, you cannot, you know, the margin for quality error, it does not exist, right? So Not at just, all. Not at all. You got to do it right. It's, uh, it's kind of an interesting point. Yeah, we did a, a lot of consumer research over the last year and the two top boxes on, on people's choice on why they will visit a poke concept and revisit a poke brand. Number one is the perceived quality of the fish and two, the, the freshness of the product. There, there's a saying that if, if you walk into a poke restaurant and you smell fish, walk out. <laughs> and you know, today's consumer is really enlightened and, you know, they'll figure it out pretty quick if you're, and there is a huge variation in quality when, and particularly in raw seafood, um, you know, fresh salmon and tuna. And um, it's, it's, it's perceptible and, and the consumer knows it. And, you know, we have very high quality standards with our supply chain partners and not only around quality, but sustain, sustainability. And, you know, I think that, the consumers recognize that, that, you know, that they're willing to pay a, a premium for, for a quality poke product, but they want to know without a doubt that it's high, super high quality and, and super fresh. Um, so. You know, um, one of the, the questions that always runs through my mind, you know, when I see um, some restaurant press releases come through, you know, of like the ability to be able to scale um, with a certain product as their their hero menu item, whether it's like um, like um, like like I did a, a story about like a, a taquito brand, like with taquitos at the hero menu item, or like maybe like uh, like a barbecue as a hero menu item. Like you don't really see a lot of those um, have success with like scaling across the country and. And like you mentioned earlier, poke was like thought of as like a, just like a menu item, it wasn't like. Um, back in the day, it wasn't really thought of like a, other, like a centerpiece menu item that you would build a whole restaurant concept around. So, and <clears throat> I see here in the background that you guys, you know, you you took it to New York, you took it to the Bay Area, you took it to, I believe, Irvine, um, Cal California, I believe that is. Um, so I guess, um, what gave you guys, you know, the confidence that you know this would be, you know, a type of food that would be scalable and that would be you know, appealing to different geographies and it would be something that could um, successfully scale, you know, um, and have a national appeal. The founders, when they, you know, opened the first one for about the first six months, it, it seemed like it was a little bit slow and they were kind of wondering, is this thing going to take off? And then ultimately they got some press and people started to really want to discover more about poke. There was more sort of buzz around it, particularly that first restaurant in New York. Um, and then they got some good, good foodie press. And then people, you know, um, came to 
see what it was all about. And I think the the confidence to grow was based on the consumer response. I mean, I think particularly with our our concept with Poke Your Way, it's it's ultimate customization. And you know, a lot of people thought of Poke as just this one product, but with Poke Your Way, you can literally build your bowl thousands of different ways with different proteins. If you don't like raw, you can get you know shrimp or or chicken or tofu. Um, and ultimate choices on sort of flavor profile with the sauces and the mix-ins. And it, it's really, I think, our, our concepts in line with how, how today's consumer wants to eat, particularly for our, our core consumers, which are millennials and Gen Z. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this desire for customization, high quality, but also if you want to build a super healthy bowl at Pokeworks, you can. I mean, you can go... You can go low carb, high protein, um, sort of the way diets are migrating is most people that want to eat healthy now, it's primarily plant-based with clean proteins. And I think seafood is positioned to be ultimately that clean protein. And, you know, there's a lot of people sort of on the pescatarian diet. So I think there was a, a synergy of sort of how people want to eat now, particularly in fast casual, people are looking for these better for you concepts. And the consumer sort of gets tired after a while with, you know, you can only eat so many salads, you can only eat so many burritos. So what else is there that's, you know, high quality kind of fits my craving for flavor, but also, you know, how, how I want to eat. I mean, if you want to go indulgent, you can go like full on indulgent too. So I think that appeal that, you know, Hey, here's an alternative for me that I can put my regular rotation of, um, of what I, what I want to eat. And, you know, I think most people come at poke, um, because they've eaten sushi, they like sushi. Um, and they want to say, okay, what else is out there? And, um, is there something that's a bit more flavorful and craveable and accessible? Um, and, and so, you know, this consumer, our core consumer is a pretty sophisticated consumer of their foodies. Um, if you're, if you're looking for like a super cheap discount kind of, um, <laughs> uh, meal, that's not poke works. It's, it's all about, you know, delivering on that quality and flavor. So yeah, it was, the, it was the consumer response and, you know, it was, it was really encouraging for the founders and they're like, wow, you know, there, there's a marketplace here and, you know, they started to get interest, um, also at the same time in franchising, you know, cause I think, you know, the, you know, there are operators out there that saw this as the opportunity. Wow, here's an alternative to the sort of crowded, you know, fast casual um, market that's out there. If I, if I remember correctly, it was a video, right? Like a sushi burrito video that went viral and that kind of spurred the brand's reputation or at least the awareness. There was, yeah. And there was, there was a, a Forbes magazine piece on Pokeworks that generated like, millions of views and so everybody wanted to go check it out in the first store in new york and there were literally two hour waits um lines out the door to check it out so at that point it was really clear you know hey there's something here <laughs> and um you know that there, there's a there's a marketplace for this product and you know consumers are excited about having something different um that they they have have as an option yeah, and you know what's what's in, you mentioned too, just the customization part of this is so, you know, 
obvious in terms of what you can build with the bowl. And talk about how that's actually maybe even now more appealing when you have the ability to do it digitally. And you had so much business that was coming outside the four walls in terms of people ordering, whether that was through delivery or, you know, it looks like you've got Olo and some things on the site itself. But I mean, has that only even opened up the doors here? Because, you know, I think a lot of people, whether they're at home, whether they're at the work, the ability to order a poke bowl is uh, maybe a nice uh, change of pace from some of the other things that we were doing years ago when the only thing you ordered was Chinese food pizza. And uh, I guess that's it. Right now. Yeah. It's like, I can't, I can't remember that world, but it did exist once upon a time. But yeah, just talk about how that's even actually opened up even more opportunity for the brand. Yeah, I think yeah we we do a, a huge amount of digital sales. That um, obviously with with COVID it accelerated it, um, and we've invested heavily in in that whole customer experience uh, with our with our digital experience and, and ease of ordering and and all all of the um, different ways to use us for convenience, whether it's through the third party delivery companies, DoorDash and Uber, our own online ordering. Um, and our own order website. Um, so yeah, I think it's, 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 you know, consumer trends have changed a bit. I mean, part of the, the original Pokeworks experience is you come into the restaurant and you go down the line and you see all this, you know, beautiful product, you know, you see the fresh fish, the, the team members are, you know, um, taking the salmon and, and cutting the salmon fresh and you see all the fresh vegetables and the sauces. So there is an experiential part to Pokeworks when, when you go into the restaurant, but um, obviously, you know, today people want to order the way they want to order. So we've looked to say, okay, how do we match sort of that experience digitally with, you know, beautiful photos and really easy to customize. And, and if you want sort of our advice, we have, here's our suggested uh, you know, kind of combinations, but if you want to build your own bowl, go to town. So I think that customization has been an advantage for us. And, um, yeah, we've been amazed and, and just really thrilled at, um, the frequency of guests now that they can order us conveniently and our, our digital sales continue to grow and we continue to look for ways just to make it easy for people to order from us, but also we want them to have that experience of seeing the food and the vibrancy of the food and the freshness of the food. Um, so, I mean, people still love coming in and having that, that whole experience of Pokeworks, but as we all know, um, you know, people want to order the way they want to order, you know, and particularly with our, our core consumer being millennial and Gen Z. Um, it's just, you know, uh, part, part of how they want to use a brand. And, you know, it shifted a little bit, you know, it used to be, we did a lot more sort of big, you know, heavy lunches, right. Especially in markets like New York. I mean, you just have people descending on, on the restaurant and wanting to willing to wait in line and, and wanting to go through the whole experience. But I think with more people working from home now, you know, it's, you're sitting at your desk and you're, you have a craving and you just want to get it delivered to your door. So, um, you know, I think that, that's only gonna, you know, continue to be um, a big part of how the consumer wants to use brands. Certainly for us, it's been, it's been, we've seen huge growth even throughout COVID. Um, you know, we were able to grow our sales significantly by just being there in the right way for 
our guest on digital. You know, one thing you mentioned there actually is kind of interesting. Uh, personally, as, an, as a consumer, we have a local, a local poke place and uh, I've been ordering online, you know, throughout the pandemic, picking up, eating it in my car kind of thing. You know, those car picnics that we all <laughs> love to hate there for a while. And uh, what I found myself doing over time, though, is ordering the curated bowls because the ability to customize um, just through the app was was a little bit challenging in terms of like I want one scoop of one thing and two scoops right. of this other thing. So, so I started to just do the curated ones to make sure it kind of was the same. And then when I this past weekend, I actually went back in for the first time, ordered down the queue. Uh-huh sat and ate it and i like i went full on back into my customized world because <laughs> i could tell the guy you know i want that that and i could change my mind and i could add whatever i thought looked good so it kind of made me think you know I, I know that this is a category that works off premise but really there is something about in my opinion getting pokey actually in the restaurant that is really hard to recreate Hmm. And, I, and I'm just wondering, you know, if you've seen kind of a, a really big pickup back in dining, because I do think it's an experience that's, like you mentioned, just seeing it, seeing how fresh it looks, kind of, you know, most poke restaurants have a really nice vibe in, in terms of the decor and the restaurants themselves. So, I mean, have you seen a bit of a rush back into that world now that people can leave their house and, you know, may want to get back into it? Yeah, I mean, now that restrictions have come down and things are back to whatever the new normal is, um, we've seen traffic come back. So our our traffic's actually up for both dine-in and digital. Um, So I think, you know, people are embracing us, you know, both ways. And sometimes it's the same guest, you know, it's like if it's a weekend or, um, and, and we actually do, unlike a lot of other fast casual concepts, we do as much, um, sales at dinner as we do at lunch. Um, so I think those same consumers will use us, you know, for convenience, but if they want to have the experience, you know, they will come into the restaurants and we do have, you know, comfortable dining rooms. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. We've seen that traffic come back and, um, I think, you know, there are those guests that, you know, will just use us for dining because they love. And what we, what we find too, is a lot of people come and experience the restaurant first in person. And so they get a sense for the freshness and all the ingredients that are available. But, you know, we've really invested on our digital site and, and, you know, beautiful food pictures and making it easier for people to kind of go through the steps of, of building your bowl. So you like, you pick your base and you just click on a photo, you can pick your protein, or if you want one scoop of tuna, one scoop of salmon, you can do that. And then you, you know, pick your, whatever your mix-ins are, your fresh, you know, fresh cut produce, your sauces, your toppings. So we're, we're looking, it's not the same as being in a restaurant because you can actually, you know, um, have the full sensory experience, but you know, we've looked to recreate that on, on our order site. So at least you, you feel like, you know, you're, you're having some of that experience. Um, and you're right. It's, you know, the, the advantage is it's a lot of customization, but if it's not easy for people to do that <laughs> on your order site, it can be frustrating, actually. And you're like, oh, God, what what I what did I end up ordering? What does it taste like, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that happened a lot. So before, uh, before Ben asks you a, qu- a question about inflation in the supply chain, I will, I will circulate Beacon of Hope, a uh, comment you made there about, you know, traffic and 
and digital being up because I've actually heard that now three times this <coughs> week alone between you saying it, Texas Roadhouse saying it, and also First Watch saying it. So I think as a restaurant industry, obviously we're dealing with all sorts of crazy problems, which we will get into here. But I think that's something that is worth latching onto if you're looking kind of to the horizon, you know, and hopefully some of this tapers off is the fact that a lot of restaurants probably for the reason, you know, that you mentioned there, introducing a guest or one channel and then them coming through another Sure. It's now leading to both sides of the business being up. And I think as an industry, you know, that's something that we can start to chart toward as we navigate the uh, cost problems in front of us. Sure. Yeah. You know, I think part of what, you know, obviously during COVID, you know, digital grew somewhat um, as a result of the fact that people couldn't go uh, to restaurants and, and order. And, and there was a group of consumers that were maybe not as engaged in digital ordering that were sort of, okay, now I've got to get digitally savvy. Um, I think most of our consumers were already pretty digitally savvy, but you know, there's a lot of criticisms of the third party delivery companies and how much they cost and all that. But the one thing I think we've all benefited from in working with the third party delivery companies is they're really good at customer acquisition. So I think um, the benefit of what, you know, those high commissions you pay is they're really good at going out and finding new customers and, and bringing them into your, into your concept, your ecosystem. So, um, yeah. you know, I think almost too good. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, I think ultimately that's a guest that might go do a store visit. They might decide, okay, I don't want to pay big delivery commissions. I want to order online. Um, now we, the, the, the flip side of that is you don't get that access to that customer's data, <laughs> but at the same time, um, it is driving people to your virtual door and building brand awareness. And I think, you know, we've, we've all, we've all benefited from that. And I think sometimes that gets, you know, short shrift in, in the whole conversation around. Yeah, um, and, and we've looked to really partner with our, um, our third party providers to say, okay, how do we make this a win for both of us? Um, and you know, how do we, how do we do co-marketing and things that are not just, you know, kind of driving acquisition for your platform, but also helping to drive acquisition and build our brand. Yeah. And you know, the flip side of that sometimes that's why you always have to be careful as a restaurant in terms of thinking about how you do packaging and all that is that if a customer sees you for the first time in a way that you weren't really intended for your brand to be seen by people, you know, if you didn't really do delivery and they got your first order and it wasn't good that way, that's tougher than then to come inside. So you got to pay attention to that digital infrastructure. Oh, absolutely. Nowadays. No, I mean, you have to be able to deliver that quality. And the good thing is if, if, if you look and you partner with the, the third party providers, they can give you a lot of data on what the consumers are saying about, your products. And we track that. I mean, we track, uh, on a weekly basis for all our restaurants, you know, what were, um, the, 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 the providers will give you information on any guest complaints, any refunds that they had to do because an order was incorrect or missing something. I mean, that, those are the two biggest complaints where something was missing on my order. I didn't get my spam masubi or, the customization was wrong and we have a lot of customization. So, you know, we've had to lean very heavily into training with our teams to make sure that 
you know, if you have a poke bowl, sometimes the, the check with all the customization can be <laughs> this long. So just being very careful and cautious about how you prepare that order, package it, make sure it's right, and then have con a constant loop of feedback. And you know, We track order accuracy by restaurant and we rank all of our restaurants and we're always looking to push everybody up into that preferred rating on the, on the platforms. And what we've learned is the better your order um, fulfillment, the higher you rank in the sites. Um, so you show up more in search. So there's sort of this continuous loop of not only do you have better, you know, guest satisfaction, but you show up more in the marketplace and, so it's, it's kind of understanding, you know, not only delivering on the brand promise <laughs> of this high quality, you know, super craveable poke, but also um, understanding how to um, position yourself in the marketplace to be successful. And, you know, going back to, you know, what Danny was saying earlier about earning seasons, you know, we've looked at a lot of public companies, you know, share, you know, commodity, infl commodity inflation, labor inflation. And from what we've heard, you know, most of these brands are saying that um, labor inflation is going to be a lot more structural, and they expect that to, that kind of to, to kind of remain. But the commodity, a lot of them are hopeful that it'll sort of relent in the in the back half of the year. And then, then with when it comes to development, you know, we've heard you know some stores getting pushed in next year because of delays with supply chain and, and permitting and all that. So. Um, from your guys' brand's perspective, you know, how have you kind of dealt with these uh, kind of macroeconomic um, issues with the supply chain and uh, and, and getting, it, getting your hands on equipment and, um, and and ingredients and food and all that? How's that, how's that kind of impact a, a poke brand? Uh, on a quick side note here, uh, <clears throat> I was at the grocery store recently and leg of lamb was actually cheaper per pound than chuck roast. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, yeah. you know, and I know, I've heard all these stories about beef inflation. You know, I think last month it was up 16% in a grocer. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, that was one of the craziest things I've ever seen because even in this case, the lamb leg was not on sale. It's just the chuck roast was like $20 a pound. It was some mm -hmm. crazy. Yeah. Anyway, that has nothing to do with Pokeworks, but I just thought I'd share that uh, right. wild <laughs> fact here. Yeah, it's hard to make sense out of it, and at times it's. I think for for all of us in the restaurant business, it's it's unprecedented. It's really unpredictable. I mean, we've seen uh, like a lot of concepts escalation our commodities. For us, it's a little unique. Um, you know, most of our seafood comes from other countries. So mm -hmm. you know, salmon, fresh salmon is air freighted in from typically Chile. In South America, or um, or um, some comes from you know the north, you know sort of the the North Atlantic, and then tuna. All all of tuna comes from Southeast Asia primarily, Indonesia, Vietnam, those areas. So um, we we've seen you know big commodity cost increases because of multiple reasons. Um, some of it is now the the demand curve. You know when things came back. From COVID, the producers kind of, you know, cut back production. So, for example, the the, the salmon producers, when, when COVID hit, they said, okay, wow, okay, we're not seeing the demand. We got to cut back production. And it's about a three-year growing cycle for a farm-raised salmon. So demand started picking up. They picked up production, but you don't see that until sort of the three-year cycle. 
Um, so yeah, we've seen significant increases in our commodities. We've seen longer lead times on anything that has to go into a container. And we use a lot of imported Asian items. Anything that goes into a container, you can double the time that it takes to get it from point of origin into the U.S. And then container costs, fuel costs have gone up. I mean, we've seen the escalation in fuel costs. So all of the, you know, all of the suppliers are now saying, okay, you're going to have all these fuel surcharges. So what we've really leaned into is in our supply chain is, you know, trying to partner with, with um, suppliers and vendors that really want to grow with us and will work with us to get creative around how we can um, mitigate for some of the, the cost increases. Some of it is just unavoidable. It's just market conditions and there's really not a whole lot you can do. You can't, in some cases you can't buy better. Um, you know, we're, we're not willing to compromise our quality. So um, we've also, you know, had to take price and selectively take price and, and we'll continue to evaluate that on a, on a regular basis. Um, but it's, and you know, so far I think our guests have understood that, and it's, it's difficult to communicate, right? You can't say, Hey, uh, you know, we're charging you more for your bowl because, you know, salmon prices have gone up 80%. Um, I think, you know, what, what we've leaned into with our guests is we're going to, we're going to keep our quality high and, you know, we need to pass some of the costs on to you. Right. So we've tried to be judicious about that. Um, but it's, it's unavoidable. I mean, we, we do have to pass some of that on, but we're doing everything we can on the back end with supply chain to try to find creative ways to um, uh, partner with, with folks that are in us in with us for the long term, right. And are able to work with us on, on some solutions. So, um, you know, I, I don't know that anybody's got a crystal ball on this um, on when it's going to get better and how soon. Um, and so I think it's, it, it'll, it's, it's going to be the quintessential challenge, I think, for, for, for our industry, uh, for the next couple of years, right. On, yeah, I, on I will say I've never, I think the good news for you all is I've never met anyone who wanted cheaper raw salmon. <laughs> but right, so. yeah, it's like, it's, you know, the, the analogy is sushi, you know. Do you, you know, do you really want to eat cheap sushi? Right. Um, but, but also, you know, we, we, we have a lot of regular guests, you know, that are, you know, very, very frequent users. So, um, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to, trying to strike that balance and, you know, we're, we're also looking for ways to, to save wherever we can, you know, I'm, I'm buying smart, not just food, but, you know, kind of across our, all of our buying to, you know, help us and our franchisees to, to maintain our profitability. But, you know, the biggest thing we're doing is really leaning into growing our sales um, because ultimately that's, that that's going to help on your store economics. If you're, if you're building your sales, you're going to have greater flow through and that we can control, right. We can control, um, you know, the guest experience and, and, you know, giving the, the guests more reasons to visit PokeWorks and keeping our quality standards high and, um, you know, it's, it's, it, we have seen with it where their poke concepts are sort of cutting back on their quality using frozen salmon and other things. And, you know, un, we understand when they, that decision, but I don't, you know, that's not something we're going to do. And I think the guest re, re, realizes that and recognizes it. And so far we haven't, 
gotten a lot of pushback when we have taken price because I think the consumer sees it at the supermarket, right? And they see it everywhere. They, they know that, um, you know, things are costing more. Um, and, you know, ultimately we can't control macroeconomic conditions, right? <laughs> that, that's, that's, that's that we can only, you know, react and respond and, and try to be, you know, creative on, on how we can, um, try to find some, you know, some solutions. How does, um, this whole environment when it, as it relates to menu, how does it, uh, impact, um, how you guys approach uh, menu innovation? Does it, doesn't this environment make it harder to do menu, menu innovation? Is it kind of the, the same as it was prior to COVID? Come on, kind of, how to kind of walk us through, you know, um, how you guys kind of um, your cadence throughout the year and how it may be impacted by the volatility out there. It's definitely a consideration as we do menu innovation. I think, you know, the, the great thing about our, our platform is, you know, we've got a, a whole host of products that we have in our restaurants today. And so we've got a, a pretty good palette of ingredients that we can use. So a lot of our innovation that we're doing this year is around what do we have that um, in our platform that we can innovate around that sort of meets consumer, you know, consumer preferences or consumer demand. So um, we're, we're trying to be really selective about not bringing in a whole lot of new SKUs or things that are going to create, you know, supply chain, downstream supply chain issues. So. Right. Um, and, and looking for ways, maybe some alternatives that are a little bit lower cost. Um, you know, we're looking, uh, this summer to do an LTO with, uh, a spicy, crunchy, you know, surimi crab bowl, which, um, is we're able to price it really attractively and, and, um, and has good margins. So, you know, we're looking for, for things like that. And, you know, we're looking to kind of redefine the, the poke space. Um, like we recently started, um, offering a, a, a really cool craveable press sushi product, which you don't see a lot of, a lot of places. I mean, our goal is not to be a sushi restaurant, but you know, we exactly. want to have some alternatives for people to, to add on to their order of poke. And it's been super popular so far. And for us, it's easy. We have all the ingredients and it's real simple for the, the team to execute. So we're looking at some ways to innovate. You know, we've, we've looked at some plant-based products. We recently have been doing a, a pilot um, with um, a company called Omni that makes a plant-based masubi. It's like a, a plant-based spam we use for masubi. And so that's been really popular with people that are sort of healthy or oriented and, you know, love the flavor of masubi, but don't want to eat spam. <laughs> so, you know, looking for some, some things like that, that um, are unique and sort of craveable and you don't see in your typical poke concept. So, but yeah, supply chain supply chain is always a consideration when we're looking at menu innovation. So we don't put ourselves in a position where we can't deliver on it <laughs> or execute yeah, it. I, mean, I feel like we're entering an era of core menu innovation, or where basically you see like Burger King just doing different whoppers, and you see McDonald's doing different famous meals where they don't have to actually add any products, and they're innovating more around platforms than they are actually introducing new SKUs. Sure. And it's going to be interesting just to kind of watch the creativity that comes from that and how brands are able to market things in a way that feels new, even though they were already on the menu or they're just moved around in a way that, you know, if you're turning over like, you know, Starbucks and their whole 80% new staff in the course of a year, everyone's a first year employee, 
in the last year, you know, it's really kind of hard to go and just introduce some unicorn frappuccino into the menu and, right. and, ex and expect that anybody's going to have a chance to make it, which is probably why they stopped doing that among, you know, other reasons. And then to your point, I think the other side of that is how can we start looking at menu innovation as an add-on business versus an entirely new LTO type product. And that to me is really where the two forks of this conversation that fit into the overall supply challenges at hand. And then yet what's still feasible that you can kind of create new news and keep, you know, pulsing deals and rewards and emails and get that word out yet, not, you know, muddy things up in the supply chain. So it's going to be a very interesting year. I think fast food and, Quick service, fast casual is among the most creative marketing in the business. Obviously, we're biased, <laughs> but but I look forward to seeing kind of how you all you know come to market with these things because yeah, you've got to kind of have a customer who's cognizant of what's happening and understands what's being passed along, but also is not being constantly reminded of what's happening. Sure. <laughs> you know, from a macroeconomic perspective, because we see it at the gas station, we often don't want to see it at lunch, so. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Distinct dynamic. For sure. Um, and you know, we're not we're not a we're not an experience for folks that are seeking, you know, cheap value kind of food. It, it's a premium experience. And so I think um I, I think our consumers recognize that that, you know, we're for a premium experience we're willing to pay a, a premium price. There's a limit to what people will pay. Um so we always sort of strike a balance, but um, as long as you, as long as the quality is there with the product, I think, you know, the consumer recognizes it. Yeah. I think it's a lot easier also to go from 13 to $15 than it is to go from $1 to $3, which typically right. is when you would see someone go, wait a second, the McChicken used to cost me 99 cents and now it cost me a dollar 49. And that's uh, something that actually they notice. But if you're already kind of in the top tier of a, a consumer who knows what they're paying for, value is sort of defined differently than just racing to the bottom. Yeah, but um, sure. before, before we let you go, I want to talk a little bit about growth plans because I think that's the place, as you mentioned, kind of at the beginning that really separates you from the rest of the field, you know, in terms of a concept that has already built a very, you know, robust footprint. You're growing internationally. You know, you've been able to, Ben's earlier point, really scale a product, you know, that to maybe 10 years ago wasn't even on that radar. So, Talk a little bit about what's coming, you know, obviously a lot of deals out there, you know, where the white space might lie for you and just how much excitement there is right now about this sort of stage of inflection for you. Yeah, we've got a lot of growth opportunity. We're, we're being thoughtful about it. I think domestically, you know, we have somewhere around, uh, we just opened another store on Friday. So I think we're around 65 domestic, um, but we're, we have a lot of opportunity around market penetration, um, particularly in some big metro areas. So we've just kind of scratched the surface on, on a lot of the, the large DMAs in the U.S. And so we're going to lean into that. And you know, we've got a, a, a pretty robust pipeline of, of current franchisees that are going to continue to develop and grow. Because during COVID, we, we continue to open stores, but you know, there was sort of a pause on development by some of our franchisees, obviously, until, um, you know, things kind of improved. So those franchisees are starting to develop again. We have a whole pipeline of new franchisees, but a lot of the focus is going to be around, you know, going in and penetrating these large markets. Um, 
you know, so for example, today in all of Southern California, we have three restaurants. So we have a number of deals coming in these markets where we know there's a ton of our consumers. We know that, you know, we can, you know, really position well against the competition. And, you know, there's a, a big runway in terms of the number of locations we could do. So we're really, you know, focused domestically on let's go in and penetrate these markets. Let's let's partner with really good experienced operators on. And, and so that's sort of the 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 domestic strategy. We also have opportunities in sort of non-traditional spaces that are coming to us and we're evaluating. So we've done a number of virtual kitchens um, and uh, I think there's more opportunity to do virtual kitchens in, in certain markets. Um, and um, we, I think, currently operate five or six virtual kitchens of, with sort of different markets, but we know there's an opportunity there to continue to open virtual kitchens. We've had interest in um, airports and universities, so we're looking at that. I mean, we, we over-index with Gen Z, so, I mean, that's a great audience for us with, you know, kind of, college age um, consumers. And then on the international side, we've had a ton of interest. Um, we're, we're very, very selective and very careful about how we do international because, you know, we want to know that whoever we partner with uh, has real operating experience. Um, they understand their, their markets that they're going into. So we recently did a deal, 50 store deal for Canada with a group called Eat Up Canada. And the operators there are very successful. They they were responsible for bringing firehouse subs to Canada and grew that to 50 stores. Um, very, very successful group. So we know the demands there. Um, we're getting sort of inbound requests on interest in international. And so as we believe that we have the right partner, um, you know, we will look at, at, at those types of partnerships. So um, yeah, there's, I think there's a, a strong runway for us. I think, you know, what, what we have invested in heavily is the infrastructure to support that growth. So over the last year, we've really built our team um, and built our capabilities around marketing, finance, supply chain, culinary, franchise support. Um, so, um, you know, our, our ownership group has been very supportive on investing to create this infrastructure because you can go out and sell franchises, but if you don't have the support to be able to uh, allow those franchisees to be successful and leverage your size um, and be able to do all the things that, that drive a, a successful um, chains, not the right word, but a successful company, then um, ultimately development slows down. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, we're we're real excited about the opportunities. We're being thoughtful about it. We'll we'll probably end up this year with somewhere around twenty stores uh, domestically, and then we're going to ramp that up over uh, successive years as the pipeline builds. Um. So yeah, I think we have we have um, sort of multiple opportunities that we're exploring and sort of leaning into to to build the brand. And there's there's a big runway out there. The if you if you read the consumer research, the poke market is going to double over the next five years. That's the consumer side. Um, so the number of consumers that want to eat poke, and particularly as Gen Z now comes into their adult years, that's a huge um, 
a huge consumer group for us. Yeah, if you don't believe that, just walk around Southern California. Right. They are yeah. exactly on every, every block um, right now. It's uh, kind of wild, but also a great thing because I think it's a, it's a healthy Halo restaurant concept that we could use more of throughout the country. So, Well, Steve, we really appreciate you joining us and sharing, sharing some uh, information about the brand. We wish you the best of luck. Of course, we'll be following along and keeping everybody updated on what you all are doing every time you sign a big deal, we will probably post it. So, all right. Thank you for cool. us. Well, thanks, Danny. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate you guys hosting me. No problem. Thank you yeah. for, for hopping on. Yeah. And for everyone out there listening, as always, we appreciate you doing so and we'll see you next time.